Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Doctor's Kitchen. Recipes, health, lifestyle. The next day, I was discharged and I got back home and I had an email come the next morning and they were like, oh, we've approved your interview with Michael B. Jordan for the, wow. his next film. And that was a sign. I was like, that's it. You know, I'm getting back to normal. And despite being heavily bandaged up, no skin on my stomach, a few days later, I interviewed them. Uh, so it was Michael B. Jordan and Jamie Fox. Luckily, if someone was watching the interview, they would not know that a week ago I was in hospital having major surgery. They would just not have a clue. Welcome to the Doctor's Kitchen podcast. The show about food, lifestyle, medicine, and how to improve your health today. I'm Dr. Rupi, your host. I'm a medical doctor, I study nutrition, and I'm a firm believer in the power of food and lifestyle as medicine. Join me and my expert guests where we discuss the multiple determinants of what allows you to lead your best life. What an amazing conversation of positivity, mindset and resilience that you're about to hear today. Myra Ali is a freelance celebrity and lifestyle journalist and BBC guest editor with bylines in British GQ, Mary Claire and the New York Post. She interviews A-listers such as Tom Holland, Riz Ahmed, Samuel Jackson, just to name a few. But Myra's story, however, is much deeper than the glossy magazines that she writes for and the red carpet events that she attends. Myra was born with the rare condition of butterfly skin epidermolysis bullosa, an extremely rare, life-threatening skin condition that causes her body to blister and tear at the slightest of touches. And as a result of surgeries, she's also been left with a physical disability too. Growing up with such a severe and disfiguring condition had obviously a significant impact on her self-confidence, ability to make new friends, as well as choose a career suited to her abilities and ambitions. But undeterred by her limitations her incredible mindset has been key to breaking barriers and stereotypes and has landed her into the career of her dreams 
She's been open in her writing about living with disability and the way in which disabled women of color can be too easily left out of the conversation. And honestly, I'm delighted to showcase her incredible story with you. And I really hope that after hearing about her perspective on how the practice of gratitude has been impactful for her, you'll also undertake a daily gratitude practice. Just to preface the interview, as a result of Myra's condition, her audio might be slightly difficult to hear, but I really hope you can just sense that sheer positivity and vigor that Myra brings to her work and every day. This is a raw and authentic conversation, and I really respect Myra's openness to talk about her personal life, the impact on her romantic life, family life, as well as all the other obstacles that she faces as a result of her condition. And I recently listened back to the conversation in full to prepare for this intro, and I honestly just had the biggest smile on my face because Myra is just such a rock star, and I really hope her story, and importantly, her energy really inspires you as well. You can check out the YouTube links to the interviews that she's performed herself on thedoctorskitchen.com where you can also sign up to the newsletter where I try and inspire you with something to eat, listen to or watch every single week to help you live a happier, healthier life. Onto the pod. Myra, thank you so much for coming on the pod today. It's a pleasure to have you here. Oh, thank you for having me. I've uh, I've been the recipient of a lot of your interviews over the past couple of years, well, the past year, I'd say, um, which has been so lovely. Um, to and and it's it's very general. Whenever you interview someone, you can really tell that you're passionate about the subject. So I just wanted to say that, as an uh, purely as an interviewer, someone who's a, a interested in journalism themselves, like you're 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 awesome. So you're, you're definitely going to be big. So um, obviously we want to talk today about um, your your condition, um, your upbringing, you know, how this has impacted your life because what you do and the level to the extent that you, you do it in journalism is, is amazing for your age, let alone given that you have a chronic disability. Um, so, so I wanted to get into it and, and perhaps you can explain your your long-term condition and um, a bit about um, when you were diagnosed and, and your upbringing. Yeah. So um, I was born with a rare skin condition called epidermolysis bullosa. And uh, what that means is that my skin is really fragile and uh, I have like chronic wounds that healed and break down. And I was born with it. So um, when... Um, I was born, uh, you know, my uh, the doctors, my parents knew that there's something, you know, not right because uh, I didn't have any skin on my foot and they thought that was, you know, from like kicking like in the womb and uh, uh, it's obviously such a rare condition. There's only like 5,000 people in the UK who have it and obviously even more um, a smaller amount who have the most severe type, which is uh, my type, called um, dystrophic um, EB. And um, it's, uh, you know, it it is a difficult condition. It causes a lot of pain and it affects, you know, the, my eyelids, my hands, um, my throat. Uh, and... 
I just learned to deal with the problems it gives and for good <laughs> 33 years now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and so with regards to the actual condition can you can you explain what that feels like because it it sounds very very uncomfortable if i'm putting it quite mildly um what what, yeah what what are are the sensations yeah it's um it's definitely painful like daily pain uh and i have to take painkillers like regularly throughout the day but um, unfortunately I can't take strong painkillers because of the side effects that come with it so I just have to weigh up that get rid rid a bit of the pain rather than have the side effects so I just take paracetamol and uh, years ago I could take something stronger um but then for like any medication uh, sometimes you get side effects later in life and uh, that's what happened but I've just learned to deal with it and it's kind of like the best way to describe it is um the wounds are the equivalent of burns like second degree burns but the only difference is a burns patient can have their um, burns healed with skin grafts but mind just keep opening hmm. and, and it, initially it, it was on your on your foot when you when you were just as soon born. as I was born but then it it was you know everywhere wow and was the diagnosis um found to pretty quickly oh yeah at, at birth straight away mm. 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 okay and 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 can you can you remember like some of your first memories when when you were a child and yeah, I'd say I always knew that I had to be careful, like, in school, in the playground, that I just, like, automatically knew that if I fall, it's not going to be a graze, it's going to be, um, like, my skin would rip off. Um, so uh, I had, like, an assistant in school, and my friends were, like, really protective and careful, even, you know, uh, at a young age, like, under <laughs> 10, Um and it was always a case of uh, be careful that Myra doesn't get hurt, uh, whether yeah. that's in the house, in school, uh, even if we had like um, a pet, <laughs> it was like be careful she didn't get hurt. <laughs> yeah, that that must have left you with a lot of fear, I guess, of just of going outside, of of you know just coming into contact with anyone. I'd say it was more of the case of. <laughs> You, you know, falling over, it, it's like, it's almost like if someone falls over, you get that, um, you know, they just get back up. <laughs> but mm. with me, if I did fall over, I, like, it would be quite um, a bad injury, you could say, and I, they needed to put bandages on me straight away. And it's almost you get pins and needles, that sensation, and it was always quite scary quite frightening but I would say it didn't stop me from you know being a kid uh, being a normal kid you know playing outside or anything luckily Ah. like my parents didn't um you know molly cuddle me as much (laughs) Uh, and plus I was quite stubborn (laughs) as well (laughs) and in terms of like your siblings and and friends and stuff like that that what, what was that like I mean how many siblings do you have 
So I've got two brothers, two sisters, and I'm second oldest. So my younger brother does have the condition, but we have like a 10-year gap. So uh, when I was born, I was like the first one in my family to have it. Gotcha. gotcha. Yeah. And they also learned uh, to, you know, deal with this condition and help me whenever I need it. And yeah. that's, it's, it's almost like that's not really, <laughs> really changed because uh, they kind of, uh, they do that now as well. And uh, I don't know, sometimes my, uh, you know, when we have conversations, uh, you know, without a doubt, our lives would be different if uh, I never had this condition. But, you know, the positive is that, you know, whatever you know, nice stuff, exciting stuff has happened. Uh, in a way, it's because of my condition, because of the work I do. Without a doubt, it's made me stand out because of the condition, because there's a whole pool of journalists. But when you have a story, a unique story like mine, you know, an editor wants to hear about it. So in my career, it, it has helped me. How were your ambitions actually fostered whilst you were at school? Like, were you were you already quite focused on journalism or a career in media, or was that something later on? That is definitely later on, but I would say I was. What the condition did, it it definitely made me more confident because, which sounds strange, because. Um, um, the reason why I'm, I was always asked, oh, what's happened to you? Have you got burns? Have you got this? And because you speak to so many people from such a young age, you learn to deal with all sorts of, you know, people and you get used to talking about it, that it makes you confident, even though there was a time where I used to hate being asked about it. Well, if I went into, you know, particular, like, areas and people might, you know, stare a bit too much. Yeah. And, uh, but then I learned, you know, um, just to deal with it. And the more practice you have in talking about it, it just makes you more confident and it makes you more okay with talking about your life. And um, I would say... I, uh, when I was uh, a teenager, I started talking for, um, for charities, for the charity that helps my condition. So I was qu uh, quite comfortable in talking to, um, you know, uh, big audiences. So I think that was the starting point where I kind of knew that I want to be in media, but the start of the media work happened in my 20s when I started social media and I started blogging about my condition. Mm, mm. And that, that confidence switch, I'm, I'm really fascinated by that because I think a lot of people would um, hold that negative um, grudge against anyone inquiring about their condition, particularly as someone who, who essentially wears it with them all the time, right? You, you can't get away from the fact that there is a very visible condition. And, and, and just for those listening, perhaps you could describe 
um, some of the, the, the scarring and, and the um, and the disabilities that you have? Yeah, so like, my hands are scarred and you could say like mittened uh, because I have fingers, but the skin is covering them with scar tissue. And I have to have operations that release the fingers. Um, like when I was younger, I had the whole hand released. But what we found is because the scar tissue comes back again, um, it's a lot of the uh, hassle and effort and a lot of pain uh, for um, the dexterity to, you know, go really fast. So what we do is just open up the thumb and... Um, like uh, like the index finger or something, so I have use, but I'm not in, you know, the recovery is faster. So really, if anyone saw me, um, you know, anyway, they, they actually think I have burns, because yeah. that, that is the best way to describe it. Yeah. Because yeah. if I was to tell someone who didn't see me, oh, it's a skin condition, they would think I have eczema, mm. because mm. they can't, and no one can really imagine a skin condition to look that severe. So the best way is um, to say I've got burns because I feel, I know a few people who have had burns and we have more in common than I have in common with people with other skin conditions because I've had all of the operations they've had, the skin grafts, the, you know, the, the loss of, no, the, the pain, the loss of, um, uh, the loss of, the, you know, the layers of skin and, um, the same, you know, plastic surgery teams. Whereas a person with a skin condition, all they see is a dermatologist and it, it's not that intense, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, I understand that totally. And, and it, 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 it's hard to imagine because once you have a burn, it's something that can go through a recovery phase, but in your condition, because you've lost some of the ability to rebuild, essentially, it's almost like having constant burns. Is that is that something that... Exactly. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. So I've had eyelid surgery so I can close my eyes properly, but it will last a few years, and then I'll have to have that same surgery again because ah. scar tissue builds up. Wow. How many surgeries have you had so far? I've had probably like over 20 to 30 surgeries in my lifetime. But I only started having surgery when I was about 18 because I was too scared to have surgery when I was younger. And for for those who are listening, you're... you're, repeatedly dabbing your eyes um with with a is it a wet cloth or is it just a simple tissue because they're a bit watery and basically i am due (laughs) eyelid surgery and right now they're they're quite dry and uh, if you have excessive dry eyes obviously they water but what um what it is is uh, just due to the pandemic uh, i haven't been able to have surgery (laughs) Mm, mm, yeah. And it was one of those things, actually, that you struggled to even get simple analgesia as well during the pandemic because of stockpiling. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So when the pandemic started, uh, 
the UK obviously went into some sort of meltdown for <laughs> for a few weeks, <laughs> and in supermarkets they stockpiled um, all the paracetamol, and I thought I'd better get some paracetamol just in case pharmacies can't get it, and it's better to be um you know safe than uh, sorry, and um uh, I I could not find it. In the supermarkets, so I had to get um, go to a private pharmacy who uh, who gave me some. Oh, wow, wow! I mean, people don't really think about the impact of the pandemic on chronic disease and some something as simple as paracetamol, which is the only uh, painkiller that you can tolerate. Even though, you, really, if you could tolerate other painkillers, you'd probably be on much stronger ones uh, that we have access to. Um, but I don't think people really realise the impact of delayed surgeries on, 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 on people like yourself with chronic diseases who need them just to function uh, on a day-to-day basis. I'm really interested in how you cultivate this positive energy because I see many people, some of whom are like yourself, but other people who, for whom it's very reasonable to fall into a spiral of negative self-talk, rumination, particularly against the cloud of chronic pain, right? If you're constantly in pain, everything you do, you have a disability, you're trying to break into an industry that we'll get to in a bit, in a bit about the, you know, the challenges of being disabled in the media, in acting, in you know, all, all the other elements um, that prevent disabled people from, from entering into those professions. How on earth do you cultivate that that wonderful, like bubbly sense of personality and positive energy? It's amazing. Every time I speak to you, you always seem to have a smile on your face. It's brilliant. <laughs> I I would say I'm quite good at coping with the condition. Um, I think because I've tried like really hard not to let this condition define me because I feel if you focus too much on the condition because let's be honest the condition is negative because <laughs> uh, you know who'd want constant pain and um, constant daily you know bandage changes but if someone was to focus on that too much um, so focusing on negative too much, the outcome is just going to be negative. You're not going to get any kind of progression out of it. Um, so I try to be as positive as I can. But I'd say um, the only time where I kind of blamed my condition was when I was in my early 20s and there were, you know, when I used to think about relationships and stuff, and uh, that was when I thought, you know what, maybe it would be easier if I never had this condition, and I was blaming everything on the condition, and uh, from the culture I'm from, so I'm from the Asian culture, and as you'll know, that uh, there is a you know a decent amount of uh, cultural pressure in the Asian community, on women especially, um, that when it, it comes to talks about, you know, marriage and stuff, we think about it, like any woman really, you think about it at a young age. And I went through a period where 
I thought that um, uh, if I don't, if I'm not in a relationship, it's not going to be the end of the world. But this is in my early twenties when I was at university, and uh, that I would say was a point where psychologically I was affected a lot because of this condition. But to overcome it, I it helped. I started working because um, I worked in the NHS for a little bit as a translator. Um, so uh, working and you know having that normal life, meeting friends and talking talking about it with friends as well helped. But then I thought, you know what, I need to be grateful for what I have, and that slow kind of being positive and practicing gratitude and I also read this book called Secret and uh, where it says uh, be positive visualize you know um, how you want your future etc and I had never heard of that book before it was when I went on a night out with my sister and a, a family friend she was talking about it. I thought you know what I'll check it out and um it really changed my mindset and I would say uh, it was the beginning of when I started social media which I really you know enjoyed as well so it was that the whole thing of gratitude and life moving on got me out of that really like dark place that I went through mm. I mean it's it's amazing that as uh, you've read that book I mean I love that book and there's a new version out now I think it just came out a few months ago that I, I still need to read but the fact that you know you you made those small continuous positive changes and you use gratitude as a tool um, I think it's just wonderful because it's like I said earlier it's very easy to fall into the trap and understandable I must stress as well to fall into that negative self-talk trap um, and the fact that you've been able to get yourself out of it is wonderful. I didn't know that you were an interpreter in the NHS. That's amazing. So I did that, like, right after university. Really? Yeah. And it, it was good. Uh, but, like, it was good. I loved, like, you know, meeting the patients. And in a way, it. I kind of understood that you know I'm a good listener so it helps with my job now as a journalist and people you know naturally maybe because of my condition they open up to me and I had patients they have their own problems but <laughs> they were uh, like just telling me their story and they felt they could open up just because they saw I have a condition and um I did that for a few years, but deep down, I wasn't completely happy uh, with my job. And I I had that thing of, you know, when am I going to move on? Because I was doing the social media side and opportunities that were coming with that. In my head, I was thinking, God, I hope something happens. And in my head, like, I knew something is going to happen, but... I had moments of being a bit impatient and just thinking, oh, just, God, just make this happen faster. <laughs> <Because> <laughs> I want to move on. And then um, an opportunity just came. 
with interviewing a celebrity chef for a, a charity event. And it was a chef called Jason Atherton. Um, and they were like, oh, do you want to interview him? And I was like, yeah, definitely. And just while I was interviewing him at that event, the photographer there was uh, the actor Tom Holland's mom. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> we had lunch after that event, and during the lunch she goes, oh, uh, so you're a really good interviewer. Uh, how long have you been doing this for? And I said, not long at all. <laughs> <laughs> Not knowing that that was your first celebrity interview. <laughs> That's brilliant. And um, she goes, oh, do you want to interview Tom for the Spider-Man movie? I'm not going to lie, at the time, I didn't know that this is huge, that movie. Yeah. And yeah. what an audience, uh, uh, that movie, and obviously um, the actors in that have. And I was like, yeah, that'd be great. And <laughs> I ended up moving to London um, in uh, a few weeks later anyway, and everything just went a bit quiet. And then out, um, then out of nowhere, I got a text saying, oh, do you still want to interview Tom? And I was like, yeah. And a week later, I was doing this press junket at a fancy London hotel, and all the other journalists, they were all American, like from <sighs> CNN and like E! News and, you know, NBC. And I was like... Okay, and <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> and I was, in a way, I was like faking it to make it. Uh-huh. And people were nice; they were giving me like advice and whatnot. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was an experience I won't forget because it was the start of it. And um, I was like, if I don't take this huge opportunity and make the efforts to really increase this career now, um, I'm going to miss out. So after that event, um, the response was great to the interview, but I kind of uh, made a, a lot of effort to, you know, get a little bit known in my career. <laughs> That's amazing. I I mean, just from turning your disability into a superpower, seeing the positiveness of it, and then almost using it um, to to get you, you know, your foot in the door. I'm just in awe of of how much you've achieved up to that point. But, you know, that that went on to lead to a burgeoning career where you've interviewed some pretty heavy hitting uh, A-listers, right? And that used something... You continue to do. Is it still in a freelance capacity, or do you work for an organisation? Or uh, it's a freelance capacity, but some companies, because they've seen, um, uh, I've worked with them a few times, and they've because they've seen my work, they want to have repeat work from me, which is quite nice. <laughs> and uh, so I've interviewed the A listers, like from Tom Holland, Samuel Jackson, Jake Gyllenhaal, like Timothy Chalamet, and. Uh, and many other like proper like A-listers and it's such a fun amazing experience and I would say um in one thing with this industry I've learned is um you have to make a lot of effort 
effort to get your opportunities mm. but that could be for any industry as well but you have to make a hell of a lot of effort but also you know ask um advice from uh people um in the industry and i won't forget this guy he works on um i think there's a program called masked singer on itv okay uh, right now, uh, and but at the time he was working on a Channel Five, uh, the Jeremy Vine show, and okay. he wasn't as well known as he is, is now. But for the whole of uh, the summer after my interview with you know the Spider Man cast, um, I was trying to get opportunities, and it took about three months, and I came to a point where like. I was like, maybe I need an agent or something. And I felt really, like, deflated and frustrated. And I reached out to this guy who works in media. And um, uh, I said to him, you know what, I, I, this is what I've done. But now I feel really down and frustrated because I'm not moving on. And he goes, ignore that. Put yourself out there. Show what you've done. And see what happens. Uh, just keep going. Stop getting impatient. And those few words changed my thinking again. Hearing it from an experienced person. And what happened was, I did what he said. And in two weeks, I was interviewing on the red carpet on the London Film Festival. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> And I had never done red carpet before. And the first time I did red carpet interviewing, when you include a disability in it, and, and without a doubt, it is challenging. You're on your feet for two hours, waiting for a five-minute interview, if you're lucky. <laughs> yeah. And it was almost like um, the first time I did it, I... The publicist of Timothy Chalamet saw me in this like, press pen, and I wasn't, you know, with a well-known um, publication at the time. So easily, I they didn't need to give me the interview, and she saw me. She saw I looked a bit different, and that was what helped me get the interview out of the whole, you know, uh, journalist line. And she goes, oh, you can have the interview, just come over here. Whereas the other trainers <laughs> never got it. <laughs> that sounds pretty brutal considering your condition as well. You know, standing on your feet, I can imagine it's super uncomfortable. What's your experience been like in the media as a as a disabled journalist? I mean, have you been looked on positively like that, or or, or are those incidences quite isolated? It's been positive and negative. Overall, it's positive. So even that event, you could say that was really tiring because uh, I had to watch the film in the morning, come back to my house, <laughs> uh, which is an hour away, get back to Leicester Square, um, and then uh, get the interview, and then get back home late night. So tiring it was, but the actual high 
uh, it almost emits the you know the pain the tiredness that comes with it and that's where I learned how much I love my job that I could do it um despite the physical challenges <laughs> that come because I, I forget almost it's like a instant thing and I unfortunately uh, in 2019 I had skin cancer Oh. which is a risk with my skin condition. Yeah. I always heard about it my whole life, that, oh, maybe you can get it. The doctors always told me. I had skin cancer um, in December 2019, and for a whole six weeks, I had major surgery of my hand. It was really, really painful. And my hospital at the time was uh, in a different city because I have, like, military surgeons. And um, and I was, uh, you could say, uh, physically in a bad place uh, and really tired always because of the morphine and whatnot. And I remember getting discharged from hospital because I couldn't wait to be out of hospital because... Um, I was just so, uh, you know, sick of it and deflated. And it, it, it took over Christmas because I didn't have a normal holiday for uh, the whole month. And it was New Year and I got discharged. And um, my last operation, like the day before I got discharged, I had this like thing that, you know what, I actually don't live a normal life, but it's okay, because my surgeon, he was operating on me, and I'm awake during the surgery. He's doing the skin graft, like cutting my stomach to get the skin off it. And the night before were the Golden Globes, so my surgeon knows I'm a journalist. And he goes, oh, if you could, who is your dream interview? And I said it to Leonardo DiCaprio, and he goes, "Oh, you, uh, you're too old for him." <laughs> <laughs> whilst he's operating on you. <laughs> yeah, whilst he's operating on me, and I started laughing and showing the key while you know cutting me up with a scalpel. <laughs> Um, and um, the next day I was discharged and I got back home and I had an email come the next morning and they were like, oh, we've approved your interview with Michael B. Jordan for the, wow. his next film. And that was a sign. I was like, that's it. You know, I'm getting back to normal. And despite being heavily bandaged up, no skin on my stomach, um, a few days later, I interviewed them. Uh, so it was Michael B. Jordan and Jamie Foxx. Amazing. I, I, I think I've watched that interview on YouTube. It's it's awesome. It's so, so good. I mean, I, y yeah, you just got a presence about you and, you know, you didn't seem nervous at all. You just seemed like, you know, just rolling off the questions, having a casual chat with these A-listers. It's brilliant. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Because the night before I watched the film, and on purpose, I didn't take the morphine that I needed because I was like, if I take morphine, I don't want to fall asleep in the <laughs> while watching the screening. <laughs> and <laughs> so I interviewed them. And luckily, if someone 
was watching the interview, they would not know that a week ago I was in hospital having major surgery. They would just not have a clue. But, I don't know, I, I, I'm really grateful that my work helps me get out of those, you know, dark moments. So when I think about the whole skin cancer thing now, it just seems like a six-week nightmare that happened. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I, I watched that interview. I wouldn't have guessed that you had surgery a week before. I mean, that's that's even more incredible now. Um, and and I guess you know you you've you've created uh, a process in in your head and your daily activities where you can maintain that positive energy, but focusing on those highs that to to ride you through. Um, what what are what are like your 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 current challenges? I, I guess in your in your current vacation. Uh, in my job, um, it's an interesting one, um, because I think it does affect all journalists with disabilities, and back, uh, you know, a few months ago, I I did this big interview with this actor called Michele Moroni, who is the lead actor of the film that was really popular on Netflix called 365 Days. And I interviewed him and I had a little bit of trolling on my video on YouTube. And this uh, troll, he was like, oh, why is she interviewing him? What what has happened to her? Why is she even allowed to interview him? And um, luckily, uh, you know, the comments were deleted and the person was blocked. But what it made me, um, you know, think about is that the lack of not having enough disabled journalists uh, in the media, it can make people say questions like that. And um, it there needs to be more kind of disabled representation to, you know, make people think that, you know, it is normal to see women who look different. Because you wouldn't really say that about any other presenter, that why is this person interviewing, you know, a celebrity or whatnot. It was just because they had not seen someone, you know, who's wearing bandages or whatever, that they could even say a, a comment like that. And I, I did this talk uh, that I was invited to for the University of Cambridge, and there were other fellow disabled journalists there, and they said the same thing, that there's not enough um, disability out there in the media. That's why a lot of uh, disabled people are targeted. Uh, online especially, but the, it's an interesting separation that when it comes to women with disabilities, beauty will always be associated with us, and uh, people will either really positively talk about our looks, or they will troll. There's no middle ground. Yeah, yeah. And what what was the outcome of that? Because you you're now involved in a number of different initiatives to try and increase awareness of disability, the challenges of disability in the media, and also encourage representation as well. Yeah, uh, I spoke about this uh, as an article for Stylist Magazine, and 
after that, the BBC got me in as a guest editor to talk about it. And I I said that there, there needs to be opportunities where whether someone talks about the disability or not, there just needs to be more uh, disabled presenters out there because uh, we, you know, we're in 2021. It's not good enough that there's only like a select number of a very very small number of disabled journalists and very uh, an even more smaller number, uh, you know, doing on camera work, and and um, also just in the media as a whole, for you know films that are out now like The Sound of Metal, you know, with Riz Ahmed, it's been great disabled representation. But, again, there's not enough representation for disabled women. And I think for voices like mine, um, who are also from an ethnic background as well, so it's even less in our cultures and communities where disabled women really get into industries like the media, um, it's so important that we encourage that for other women. Uh, so they have the confidence to, um, you know, do these kind of creative jobs, because when you have disability and, you know, Asian culture, um, the normal thinking is that, you know, um, you are limited and you're not going to achieve as much in life. And uh, I think people need to see that, you know, Actually, a disabled woman can be in media, she can be on camera, uh, living her life, getting through the disability. And it doesn't define her in order to uh, inspire others and inspire parents that they can also give the same support to their kids. Absolutely. It's a a really taboo topic, isn't it? Particularly within um, certain communities, the Asian community being one, a big one in terms of the limitations um if you do have a disability and also the the almost shame attached to it as well um you know that somehow the parents or the family have done something wrong or they're being punished and also i think when you fit in the other sort of um cultural norms around marriage and building a family and all those things that you know, we're encouraged to do at, at quite an early age, or now it's considered quite early. Um, I mean, th- these must have been quite difficult topics for you to break through on top of everything else. Yeah, for sure. Because um, uh, out of uh, my family, um, I'm the only girl with this condition as well. So naturally, um, these kinds of uh, things about relationships and marriage, uh, I thought of uh, that, you know, what if uh, there's a difficulty with my condition? And uh, in the Asian culture, uh, it is harder for women. I think even, it's not even just a disability. Uh, you know, you, you can uh, have a, you know, birthmark and d- d- in the Asian culture, they consider that a big deal. And um, I know a she's a doctor, and she's got a port wine stain on her face, 
and she goes um when it came to uh, you know getting married there were potential guys who would you know say no just because of the you know the birthmark on her face which is just uh, absolutely ridiculous but unfortunately I've heard so many stories of this but I think you need to have so much resilience to know that um, it's only a select number of people who have this view even in the culture and uh, you have to main, you know you have to keep positive and uh, you have to know that um, you can have any condition but it's not you know, it's not really your um, fault or it's not a problem to have a condition. It's a person who has the problem with a condition. You know, yeah. they're not really... Um, it's them who have the problem, it's not you. Yeah, yeah. And this is why, uh, Myra, that I wanted to you know tell as much of your story as possible because you whether you want to be or not people will look up to you as a role model as someone who is not allowed themselves to be defined by a very limiting condition and you've broken through what most people without any disability would struggle to do in your you know your, your relatively short career I mean what's not you, you <laughs> you've ticked so many boxes in terms of you know, doing media journalism you've been on the red carpet a bunch of times you're interviewing a-listers like what 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 are what are the next um sort of uh, uh visions for you um i would love to um write for a lot of you know massive publications like you know the new york times or something um and um I, uh, with the work I've done with my interview work, um, I interview a lot of actors, so it's really increasing that, and I've kind of got a bucket list of actors <laughs> I want to interview, so it's almost like I want to kick them all off, and, uh, I also hope to get into, um, you know, TV work, because um, and many times I, I would look up to, uh, you know, presenters uh, who had uh, disabilities or burns, and uh, they were the ones who encouraged me to uh, go into this industry, so I hope, uh, you know, I can, I can get there. But right now, uh, I feel like my... Uh, being freelance, my my work is kind of separated into uh, interviewing celebrities and even doing, um, you know, food articles. <laughs> and that is how we met as well. <laughs> yeah. And it's almost like um, you just don't know what can come with this career. So um, uh, one thing I've learned is... Uh, just be really ambitious because you just never know uh, what can come with it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I so see you doing TV. I so see you doing, because you've got the experience of interviewing A-listers and, you know, people who are used to being interviewed all the time and you break them down in terms of, you, you know, you allow them to open up and it's certainly to do with your interviewing style and, and you know, how 
how you encourage that to come out. And I, I see you doing that in in a very public arena, maybe on a morning show or something where you ask the public questions as they go about their day. And because it, it demonstrates that, A, you can do that, but also it normalizes disability on the screen. And, I, and unfortunately, we're in a position where that needs to happen. Yeah, uh, for sure. Um, definitely, I think... It will be a lot of uh, disabled journalists or disabled people thinking how to get into the industry. And it is hard, there's no doubt, because you have to network a lot, but you have to have so much self-belief. And But it, it does take for other people in the industry to help encourage you. And thankfully, I did have that. Um, but also, because uh, when I started... Uh, not gonna lie, I had one person say to me, Oh, um, you know, you won't be able to get a celebrity on a cover sh- for a cover story. Other people do that, you, you won't be able to do that. And their like advice or response was quite negative, but uh, I never let it get get, get to me because I thought it's only one opinion, like, you know, who are you? <laughs> I kind of had that attitude, <laughs> and I was just starting, and I think having that attitude of, you know, a thick skin, <laughs> which um, in reality I don't have at all, <laughs> really helps. <laughs> oh, that's great. Honestly, you're such a breath of fresh air, and it's it's so good to chat to you and laugh with you as well. And I can't wait to finally be able to cook for you as well when we when we when we're able yeah, to do that. Definitely. <laughs> Thank you so much, and uh, I will I'll definitely put all your links and everything uh, on the show notes, so we can we can direct people to find you and uh, and support you. And I, and I can't wait to see you on regular TV as well. I, I see it's definitely a position for you. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for having me. And, you know, your work, I am so inspired by as well and how, how, just how real you are and how you connect with your audience. I still, um, that video you did uh, where you talked about your journey and how you became a Sunday Times bestseller, that was like, I remember watching that the first time and just thinking... That would motivate so many people. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> and what, one thing of you know what I love about you is how generous you are with advice. Because a lot of successful people, it's almost they they don't really tell the secrets, but you do, and I think you um you help so many people. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. I just want to see more people, you know, get up there and chase their dreams and. I think people like yourself are doing great. You know, you're showing that it can be done. And that book as well has been really impactful on me and my goal setting. And I think, you know, if you can crystallize a vision of what you want your life to look like, um, the world's your oyster. You can make it happen regardless of, of any barriers that you have. It's easy for me to say that. And I think it's it, your testament that is it is possible and you, you're going to achieve so many more things oh thank you so much
thank you so much for listening to this week's podcast uh, Myra's socials and all the links can be found on thedoctorskitchen.com do go give her a follow and check out some of her amazing interviews and now that you know that quip about the uh, interview with Jamie Foxx uh, just re-watch that and just you'll be absolutely bowled over you would have never have guessed that she was just discharged from hospital and again my admiration for Mario's just gone through the roof uh, so do go check that out and I'll see you here next time when you make decisions for your company you look for the no-brainers and if you have a lot of mailing to do stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer it streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient which makes you less busy Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Acast anbefaler. Mit navn er Anders Mogentarder. Over for mig sidder Roald Bergmann. Vi har lavet en ny podcast, der hedder Dopaminklubben. Og Dopaminklubben er en klub, hvor ADHD er fucking sjovt, og hvor det griner. Det behøver ikke at være super alvorligt. Vi skider skrætter af alle de der podcast og forklarer mig nederen der. Vi gør grin med vores ADHD. Mulig ADHD. Ja, vi udreder mig, fordi nogen siger, at jeg har det. Jeg ved det ikke rigtigt, det finder vi ud af. Vi har i hvert fald lavet vedmål. Ind og lyt til Dopaminklubben. Hver uge udkommer vi. Der laver vi sjov og spas med at have den her vidunderlige dopaminmangel.